One of the things that stops small business owners from creating marketing content consistently is this feeling of being uninspired, of having no idea what to say in the first place. If you can relate to this, you are in good company. So many of us struggle with knowing what our marketing content should actually be about. But I am here to help. I have come up with 100 prompts that you can use to guide your marketing from your social media posts to your emails to your longer form content. I guarantee that these prompts will get you inspired and that you'll have more ideas than you even know what to do with. You can download this list of 100 marketing prompts for free at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 100 prompts. That's makinggoodpodcast.com slash 100-P-R-O-M-P-T-S. Welcome back to Making Good, the podcast for small businesses who want to make a big impact. I'm your host, Lauren Tilden, and this is episode 175. Today, we're back with this month's edition of Making Good Book Club, and we are talking about the art of gathering, how we meet and why it matters by Priya Parker. More about Making Good Book Club. So once a month, my amazing book club co-host, Sherelle Griffith, and I discuss a book we think can help move the needle in your small business, and we share our takeaways specifically for small businesses. As I mentioned, this month we discussed The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker. This is not really a business book, but it is absolutely one that can be relevant for all of our businesses and all of our lives, and I really actually would encourage that everyone read this book. So much of our lives are spent gathering at school, at parties, in meetings, with family, at religious institutions, etc., And yet we tend to spend very little energy thinking intentionally about what's most important at these events and then designing those events and meetings and moments deliberately to prioritize what matters the most. The Art of Gathering is about the fact that even a simple meeting can be a transformative experience. The world or someone's world can be just a little bit different as a result of it. And this is worth thinking through. Time is one of our most precious resources. Let's spend it well. And that means doing our part to eliminate purposeless, unintentional, or boring gatherings. In this book club episode, we talk about creating gatherings with intention, not being a chill host, finding ways to enable authentic connection, focusing less on logistics and more on purpose, how all of this applies to small business and more. This episode is for anyone who hosts events in person or online. You will learn a ton. Also, this episode is a Making Good Book Club first. This is the first book club episode that I had not fully finished the book when we recorded it. So you'll hear me admit that. And I decided to leave those parts in because I want to prove something that I say all the time. It doesn't have to be perfect to be valuable. I learned a ton from this book, and I hope that this conversation is still really useful, even though I hadn't finished the whole book when we recorded it. I'm super grateful to my co-host, Sherelle, for having finished the book and filling in the blanks for me at the end. So stay tuned through the end of this episode so you don't miss the book we announced is our pick for next month's edition of Making Good Book Club. And just a quick reminder that if you want updates on Book Club, you can sign up to get notified at makinggoodpodcast.com slash book club. Okay, so let's get into this month's book club episode about the art of gathering. Sherelle, welcome back to Making Good Book Club. Thank you so much for having me back. And I am so excited. I wanted to say thank you so much for bringing this book into my world. So a lot of the books (gasps) I've never heard of, I've heard of or I've read, but this one was one I'd never heard of and I loved it so much. I really enjoyed reading it. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad. This is one of those recordings where we have not really caught up about the book yet. So everything, like, you know, I didn't know if you had liked it or not. And so I'm uh, glad that you did. I did. I've got to come out here and say that scrambling, scrambling, scrambling. <laughs> and I did not manage to f- totally finish the book in time for our conversation. So what I think I'm going to do is I'll make sure I finish it before I record the intro. And if I have anything extra to say, maybe I'll, I'll put it in there. Um, but for now, I'm like 80, 75, 80% through. So I can, I can hold up my end for the first 75% of the book. But That's all good. Um, and luckily, I loved it. So I endowed the whole thing and I read all the way through to the very last bit. So we're all good. <laughs> perfect. Yay. Yes. I just wanted to come out and say that rather than trying to fudge my way through it. Because I figure, you know, we talk a lot about imperfectionism and like yes it can this can still be a valuable episode for people even (laughs) if I did not finish the full book I'm going to do my best so um there you have it let's talk about so you love the book 
What, mm-hmm. how would you describe it? And yeah, I, we know you love it. How would you describe it? What's it about? Give us the like elevator pitch. So it's a book about how to bring people together. I would say like with purpose and to make great experiences. Like for me, what really came across is just this idea of that if we are bringing three or more people together, it's like a moment. And this is how to make those moments count and matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she spends quite a bit of time in the very beginning of the book. And I don't, we would have said this in the intro, but um, the book is The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker. And How We Meet and Why It Matters is the subtitle. And I think she spends quite a bit of time in the very beginning of the book just saying like, so much of our life is gathering, whether it's like at school or in churches or like birthdays, weddings, funerals, like conferences, meetings, like there, so much of our life is about gathering. And yet it's something that we apply generally apply very little intention to when we're designing them. And a lot of them are just known to be boring or like, you know, conferences, (laughs) people like know that conferences generally suck, for example, or, you know, weddings are like this or baby showers are like this. Like there's, there's these just expectations that we have and we don't very often tend to, I don't know, design something from scratch with a purpose, which we'll talk about in a second. So I thought that was such an interesting point that like there's so much opportunity here actually because we spend so much of our life gathering. Yeah. And that's why I think like this book is so practical for people because yes, as small business owners, it might be you are bringing, like you are specifically trying to bring a group together. Like you might be trying to like run a live event or like you might be trying to build a community and that, that type of stuff where you're like trying to gather people. But actually there was so many things that just in real life as a normal human being, <laughs> that I just thought oh actually yeah you can really uh rethink that's what I thought about was this idea of like you know you said oh well think a lot of things we go to are boring but it's not even necessarily some of them are boring but it's just like it's always the same like you do them the same Mm -hmm. you don't question it and now this book's making me just question like why are we doing things the way we do it why are we gathering the way we do Mm -hmm. yeah I know. And one great thing about the book is so many examples, like very specific examples of specific gatherings, like of all kinds and the decisions that the hosts made that may have been like mistakes or more often like were really interesting, thoughtful, Mm -hmm. new ways of approaching getting people together. So let's maybe just dive into kind of what I, what I would consider as like the baseline foundation foundational element of gatherings in in the way that she suggests that we approach them which is having a purpose for your gathering we think we have a purpose but we're actually talking about a category she makes this distinction so a process which is like (laughs) you're bringing people around a process rather than an outcome like I thought that was interesting I was like yeah how many times do we all do that (laughs) yeah yeah And so when you're clear on what the purpose of the event is and like allowing that purpose to be very, very specific, not like let's celebrate love for a wedding, like getting much, much more specific. For example, maybe your purpose is like, she's the example of thanking your parents for like everything they did to like, you know, make your life possible as you go into your next chapter. Or maybe the purpose is blending your worlds together and like creating this greater social network based on who's at the wedding and having a clear purpose, like those two purposes in some ways are in conflict with one another. So knowing clearly what your purpose is for the gathering is a very important, she uses the word bouncer. Like it's, it's a very important way of making decisions because you can run everything you have to decide past the purpose and say, okay, given that this is my purpose, you know, she's, she used an example of, would you invite this person or this person, like a mm. college friend, a good college friend of your partner or like your mom's friend, you know, and depending on which of those two purposes was the greater purpose of the event, like that would make that decision clear. So I thought that was just really great, like a great, I don't know, baseline to think about any event that you have, just having that intention really clearly set for yourself and for anyone else organizing it up front 
Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think I really liked her example of the wedding. I thought, um, like, how many people don't have a really specific reason? And like you said, as soon as she started to ask you, who, what person would you get to invite instead? And that was like one of the things she then moved on to in this book was like, actually, when you've got a really clear purpose, it enables you to make choices about like who should be coming and who shouldn't come much easier. And so actually it's that thing which we say it all the time, like it happens in so many different principles, like by making a choice in the beginning, it makes all the rest of the decisions easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I this kind of reminds me of one thing I believe really strongly about our businesses is that we should just upfront or whenever you are listening to this episode and you decide to, but like as soon as we can getting really clear on the values of our businesses and like specifically like ranking them of like, what is the most important thing to you? And then using those values or those, um, that one value perhaps as like the criteria that you make your decisions against. So for example, for a product-based business, you might be deciding between like envelopes, let's say for your greeting cards that are inexpensive or envelopes that cost a little more, but they, you know, they're like FSC certified or like environmentally friendly in some way that matters to you. And if that was a correct, that was one of your values that you were really clear on, that decision would probably be easier. Like you'd be willing to spend more money because you know, it's in line with your values. So that was just a parallel that I was thinking of mm. as I read the book is like, when you know what matters to you, yes, in gatherings, but like also in life, like yeah. decisions are a lot easier. Oh, so much easier. And one of the examples she gave around purpose that really stuck to me as well was this idea that when her friends went to throw her baby shower and her husband was like, oh, can I like join in? Mm. And she was like, no. And then she said, <laughs> nah, which I, I could totally understand. You would be like, uh, no. But then actually when she was like thinking about it, she's like, well, this then really like, if she thought about it now with this purpose, well, actually... You know, she was very honest about wanting to have um, have children in a very much a joint. Both parents are, you know, bringing up the child together in a, a connected way. And it's not like the mum's taking most of the work sort of thing. So actually, she's like, actually, the whole event should have been about like our friends preparing us for like parenthood and us going through this journey together. So actually it would have made sense for him to be there. And obviously that would have mean maybe the way the event happened was different. But actually just because tradition says this is how we do a baby shower, that that's how long like she just said, no, that's not the way it is. And then they just carried on doing what happens at baby showers around the world probably. So I think that that really stuck to me and I I um, feel sorry for some of my friends in the future that decide to have a baby shower. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that this made me think about just as like, this is another aside, but, um, you know, as a gay person who had like a gay wedding and like baby showers, like some of the traditional ways that people approach weddings, bridal showers, baby showers, like it didn't really feel like it applied. So as a result, we got to really design it from scratch. And I'm not saying that we... 100% like had one very clear vision and if I had read this book earlier like I'm sure there would be things I'd do differently but it it was interesting to see the way that like we just because there felt like there was less of a model we could kind of pick and take what we wanted in a way that I don't know like is less common I guess in more traditional wedding ceremonies so yeah no, yeah. totally. And I think most of my friends that okay, I've always thought like the way they can approach weddings because they just, even though like obviously there is still some precedent, there's much more like they do think of it in a slightly different way of like what they want to do. Whereas I think a lot of people that are in a heterosexual relationship just it's quite easy to fall into the norm. And actually later on in the book, she talks about also not just like from a um, like sexuality being a heterosexual couple that what goes on, but also for some couples because of like the religion or the culture they've been brought up in. Mm-hmm. And actually where now some of the traditions that exist don't necessarily fit with like their values and their morals and like the world they're in today and like the world they want to lead, like the life they want to lead. But when they try and challenge that, like parents and like elders can be like, no, because that's breaking tradition. And so there is this like conflict that can happen. And it's like, actually, 
But if we were to put it back to purpose, that should be the thing. Like, does this support what the purpose is rather than being like, this is the way it's always been done? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was kind of a part of the book that I wasn't expecting is she's there's definitely going to be conflict sometimes, you know, when yeah. you're designing things from scratch and when you're making decisions to make gatherings as, I don't know, productive or um, beneficial or like, I don't know, something positive comes out of them. When that's your goal, like sometimes you are going to have to make tough decisions or like draw boundaries or disappoint people. We, she has a big section that surprised me a little bit about excluding people. Yeah. Um, like sometimes it's not for everyone to come and like, it's actually not in the best service of the people who end up going. If you like have this more, the more the merrier approach. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. Tough. Like some of the examples were like she was dealing with some, you know, like big people in inverted commas. Mm-hmm. And then they like, you know, she spoke about how so she might have like a pre-dinner the night before, like an event was gonna happen. And if someone said they weren't gonna come to that, then she's like, Well, you can't come to tomorrow because actually <laughs> this is part of the whole experience. But I really thought, well, you know, I can imagine how hard that is because that you'd be like, Well, why can't I just come to tomorrow? And especially if, you know, some of the people she deals with are of a certain status or have a certain authority and leadership and have a perspective of thinking like they can do what they want. And for her to actually like try and push back and be like, no, like I've specifically designed things in a certain way and you either have to be in the whole experience or you're not. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, I thought one, I thought she clearly was a bit of a tough cookie. Um, (laughs) But two, I think that whole idea of like, most people don't want to exclude and like one of the chapters is called closed doors. And it is about this idea of you have to, actually in order to really support the people that are invited and create this environment and this experience that you want to you have to be excluding some people and that isn't obviously what a lot of people want to do um it's Mm -hmm. a lot of people would rather avoid those um difficult uh, situations but she's really for pushing against it yeah yeah it's surprised that that chapter about exclusion being a kindness to the people who are involved in the gathering. It mm. really surprised me. And as I was first reading it, I was like, I don't know if I agree with this. Like, you know, I, it, I brushed up some resistance against me, I guess. But yeah. the more I read, the more I, the more examples she gave, like, I totally understand how it's often like a safer space when you're more controlled about who's in the room Like not to say anything negative about potential people who could have been there who weren't, but like really taking care of the people who are there sometimes means limiting the numbers or like limiting the exact profile of the people who are there. And I think she does also, because I think you're not the only person that would be a bit like worried about that type of, you just see exclusion (laughs) and you're just like, oh my gosh. But she does actually talk a little bit as well about that sort of thing around exclusion and diversity. And mm-hmm. actually really being like, this isn't about as excluding a group of people unnecessarily because of like a specific reason or demographic characteristic. That's the word, isn't it? Like, mm-hmm. it's not about that. And actually, she's much more chicklets. I'm not going to try to explain it. But if you are someone that's thinking, listening to this, oh, exclusion's bad. Like, we're going to be making groups of just like-minded people or people that are just of the same characteristic. It's not about that in any way, shape or form. And I thought she had a really articulate answer for being able to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, she changed my mind. I was I was like, what? Because it's right in the beginning of the book, too. So I was like, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, she she convinced me. Um, Yay! I'm glad one, she convinced you. <laughs> one thing I wanted to share about was um, it's back to the purpose section and having a really clear purpose for your gathering. She gave some practical tips for like, if you don't know what your purpose for the gathering is, how to get there. And I just wanted to share some of those because I think they are interesting and useful if you're doing a gathering. But I think they're also like a lot of people struggle to figure out their why, like in their business or in their life. And I think these questions can also be applied to that. So um, here's some of the, the tips that she offers for if you're doing your gathering, like trying to figure out what is the actual purpose of it. And it's all about moving from what to why. So like, move from this is a business conference to like, what is the reason for that? Like the business conference would be the what, but the why would be, you know, like moving something forward or whatever. So the strategies that she offered, one would be zoom out. 
So Mm -hmm. this is where, you know, if you think like, just look, step back and think about like, what impact could this possibly have on the people involved or the people in the world? And that might be a way to, to get closer to the why. She has one called drill baby drill, which is like drill down. And so every time you ask yourself like, what, what is the purpose of this? What's the why? you answer it and then you keep asking why. So if I said to celebrate love, then you might say back to me, but why? Why? And like (laughs) back and forth and back and forth until you actually start getting to something that feels really specific, I think is the word that she was using around like how, you know, you might be there as if, if your purpose feels very specific, not vague and like, you know, broad. And then, yeah, asking, thinking about like how, what could be the impact of this gathering, small or large on like the world around you? Um, and that would be another way to think about it. Yeah, no, that's really useful. So, yeah, I definitely think that if you have got something coming up, that's all like a good, some of those questions are going to be really helpful to like go through and try it out. Um, another thing that I thought was an interesting uh, thing was not only about who you invite, but where you actually host something. And Mm -hmm. she made a really like just significant point about so many times we just go for things from like a logistical perspective. So you'd be like, well, this venue has got like, I want to have a hundred people. So I'm just going to get this venue or um, I want to do something else. And like, you're looking at it from a logistical perspective rather than what she said was actually like your venue determines which you gets to show up. Like it actually impacts the way people behave. And therefore, really, when, like especially when you have that opportunity to make a choice about a venue, really think about how the difference of your venue will impact how people show up. And that one of the examples was um, it was called the Chateau Principle, and it was like these uh, two companies that have been trying to do a deal for quite a long time. And then in the end, like for the last conversation, they had gone to France and one of the companies was French, and they were in this big chateau, and the deal fell through, and. Um, in the book she said it's basically like we just let the French really realise like there was everything about their power and who they were and everything in this room so then they were just like we don't need to do this deal like it felt the the environment reinforced those messages whereas actually until that point they'd always been like in neutral places or they'd done most of it online and so I think there is a lot to be said about you know we all know that we know from a our own perspective like you work better in certain environments and you're more relaxed in certain environments so why wouldn't we think the same for when we're actually choosing where we host a gathering yeah she says your venue is a nudge and basically that your venue affects how you feel which i think you just explained really well also like the the actions that you take Mm -hmm. whether because you're comfortable or like there's a sense of excitement um And there are things like, yes, there's the what kind of venue is it? How big is it? But there's also things like, how is it laid out? Where are the tables? Like, just giving yourself permission, I think. And this probably is specific to an in-person gathering, which we may not all be organizing. But if you were, and like, I actually am organizing a retreat for um, Making Good Happen members. And so I like this has given me a ton to think about in terms of just like every single element every decision you make has an impact. Like where are the chairs? What is the music? What's the lighting? And it feels a little overwhelming to like, you know, have to (laughs) contend with all of that, but just it's also has a lot of opportunity and like, you can really create pretty magical experiences for people with the thoughtfulness of like, I know what the purpose is and I'm designing making my venue and my layout and my, you know, all those decisions based on that. And I think like the point you made about it's a bit overwhelming. I think if you were to go from the way we normally create gatherings to then trying to like apply all the principles in this book, yeah, it's going to be a lot. But I think actually just a few tweaks are already going to make your gathering so much better. So if anyone that is like listening and you might think something like, so it's quite funny, like I am like this week when I'm recording, it's my dad's birthday. And I was now Mm. like, have we got too many people in the party? Because there was a density (laughs) chart of like how many people per square foot or whatever. And I was like, have we got too many where have we got enough space? Well, we've got too much space now. And I was like, all of a sudden, if you're reading it and you've got anything coming up, you will start to think, have I done this? Have I done that? And it's like, actually, all you can do at that point is if there is anything you can change, change it. But if not, don't worry about it. And just know for future, you've got a few more tools in your kit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I loved chapter three. This is my favorite <laughs> chapter. 
Okay. Um, and it's called Don't Be a Chill Host. And I love this phrase. I love, I love this approach. And basically it's, it's alluding to the fact that like to be anything other than chill culturally is, I don't know. It's like not, not cool or something. Mm -hmm. Like it's not cool to be enthusiastic. It's not cool to like put in a lot of effort, but actually like you need to, (laughs) if you're the host, like being chill and like, being very removed from what happens is a disservice to everyone who's there. So mm-hmm. she uses the word um, generous authority and yes. generous authority is kind of the philosophy that she takes to hosting and, um, you know, being present and making sure that things go well and that everyone's taken care of, that people are, you know, following the rules. If there are rules, we'll talk about that. Um, that people are on equal ground. So I loved this actually. Um, a lot of times just like societally people have different, I don't know, feel like people are deserved different levels of respect based on like something about their job or their, who they are or their level in something. And so she gave some really great examples of like ways to equalize that and put everyone on level footing. Um, Some of it is like, you know, at a conference, just put people's first names on their tags. Or she gave an example of like this party that Capote threw and he like had a ton of celebrities there, but also like non-celebrities and he had everyone wear masks so that like everyone was like in complete equal footing. And I just thought that was a really interesting thing to think about, like that equalizing process. Um, also making a big effort to connect your guest. So she talks about how a lot of times when you're running events of any kind, and this could be absolutely, this could be like a virtual event if you're running or participating in, um, there's a, tends to be like a lot of connection between the host and each individual guest. But unless you're fairly intentional about it, the connections between the other people there themselves doesn't happen as much. So um, really facilitating people's opportunity to like be in community with the other people who are present. Um, yeah. That definitely gave me a lot to think about. Um, and one of the examples of this bit that really made me giggle was um, someone that was hosting a wedding and they separated all the couples. <laughs> so I think it was tables of six. So they're on these tables of six. All the couples are separated for the dinner. Um, and she was like walking around and she spotted that, in one corner, there was a couple that were together. So clearly someone had got up out of their seat and moved over. And she basically just went over and like, it started in my head, I saw her drag the woman back <laughs> to her seat. Um, and it was, she just was like, well, this is not fair because actually we have created these experiences. And like, she was like, even from just looking at the room, she was like, I knew something was off straight away. And I was like, actually, that is someone that's really is trying to make sure the guests connect to each other. If you put a couple together, they're much more likely just to talk to each other and not interact with anyone else. So she's purposely been like, we're going to split everyone. And she's like, you get to spend the rest of your night together. Like, this is just the dinner. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I'll always think of that now. And I think of connecting your guests. Yeah. And I think to the point of like, don't be a chill host. Like it would be a lot easier for her to just not say anything. Yeah. You know, it's like not awkward for, it's less awkward for her. Like she doesn't have to do the confrontation. Um, but yeah, she really did care about the experience of her guests. She saw that that table, like the dynamics were off. So she was willing to like, you know, put her neck out there a little bit in order to ensure the experience of her guests. And yeah, yeah, I, I just love the, the idea that like chill, she says, chill is selfishness disguised as kindness to be chill. We, it's like, we're concerned about our own comfort or our own safety, but it's actually not kind to other people. So, and not safety, like take care of your safety, please. I don't know why I use that word. Like we're being chill is, uh, you know, when we're just looking out for ourselves and like the optics for ourselves, but yeah. actually, yeah. And I think the thing about generous authority as well is she says it's, it is about protecting your guests. So it's not about like trying to like have the authority because it's my event. It's about actually trying to reinforce your authority in order for the experience of your guests and ensuring that, that ends up being what it's meant to be and what it's designed to be. So it's not actually necessarily like self-supporting. like supporting. 
it's more about the experience of all the people that are there as guests. Yeah, she says, imposing but selfless. Uh-huh. So, of course, I will talk about rules. So, <laughs> about creating a temporary alternative world. And I actually really liked this because um, there's quite a lot of conversation around, like, etiquette versus yeah. pop-up rules. And I really liked... Uh, maybe that was like the pure Britishness of me. It was like, oh, yes, I'm going to like this bit about this idea that actually etiquette relies on like rules that have been passed down like for generations and generations. Some of them are unsaid, some that they're used purposely to exclude people. Whereas when you create pop-up rules, you're actually creating an environment. Again, this goes back to equalizing people because you're making it very clear what the behavior in that room like what's meant to happen in this experience is. And therefore, it means people can come from all walks of life. And as long as she says, like, as long as you're able to, like, read the rules or hear the rules and understand them, you can get the same experience as anyone else in that in that room. And I really like that because I thought, actually, a lot of people would feel a bit of resistance about putting rules onto things. Um, and actually... When you think of it as, but that actually is more of an equaliser and that does allow everyone to have the same experience and it does allow you to create the experience you want to create as well. And so like one of hers, she talked about the I am here and it was just these days where they were, I think it was when they they first moved to New York and so they were like Mm -hmm. going around exploring neighbourhoods and actually what they realised was over like a few of the times of doing it was part of the beauty was like, disconnecting so people weren't on their phone so then that became part of one of the rules to actually be like I am here as I'm here with the people that are around me and we're doing something new and we're just exploring seeing what happens and I was like actually yeah I really can see this when used properly will help you to have an experience that's much more like effective in whatever you're trying to be effective at but also helps everyone be on the same plane Mm mm-hmm Yeah, I really like the concept of rules as well. And she talks about like creating a world that will exist only once. Yeah. And that is like people, you know, if your rule is no phones are allowed or um, she talked about one example where the rule is an event where the rule was you can't pour your own drink. You have to have someone else pour your drink for you. So these can be like kind of silly seeming things that you probably wouldn't want to commit to for the rest of your life, but you'd be willing to (laughs) for a night. And just that willingness to kind of like step out of like the normal way of life can create something really special. Yeah. And the the example, there's one of the examples we talked about, I think it's, I'm going to say it wrong, but Dinah en Blanc, which Mm -hmm. is about these gatherings that started in France where they were like, all white and they had very specific rules about that dressed in white yeah all dressed in white but all the tablecloths were white and they like had to bring like fine china and glass like they weren't allowed to have any plastic um and so there's all these there was loads of rules for people to actually come and have this experience and when they started to have it in other countries some of those rules were like quite difficult for other countries to follow because some of the things just weren't as easy to get hold of i think one of the examples was like they were very specific about the size of table. And in other countries, that's like harder to get hold of. But people still committed to doing it. And people go back year after year and they're like, it's such a like one-off occasion. Like it's so memorable and it's so different. And so actually by really enforcing some rules, you can create something like that is magical and memorable rather than it just being like, oh, this is the same thing we do every week. Yeah. And there's something also a little bit comforting about rules sometimes when you go into something and you know exactly what to expect and like exactly what the ground rules are. And you're not like, you know, it requires zero preparation or like brushing up on etiquette. For example, if you just like quickly, like clearly establish the rules. Um, So I, yeah, I love that. And that's definitely something I want to think about when it comes to like, you know, hosting, especially networking type events, even virtually, just having yeah. very clear, like, okay, you know exactly what to expect. I'm going to communicate it to you in advance. And like, there's no surprises and everyone's going to behave the same way. Um, yeah. I think that's And great. I like quite like it. The thing you said about that, there's no surprises. So for someone like me, I would much rather go to an event where I know what's happening. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I've been going to, I've gone to quite a few events. So in the last few months, business ones that have purposely been holding back information 
and it has been stressing me out. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not someone that's here for the surprises. Like, I want to know what is happening, when it's happening. Like, I want an agenda. I want clear rules. I want an agenda. I want all this stuff. So actually, that thing about surprises is like, yeah, actually, there was a certain set of people that having, knowing what they're getting into will help them to actually want to participate in the experience. Yeah. Yeah, I love that you I don't like surprises either. Like I like to really know what's ahead of me. If I go if I'm going on vacation, I like I like I go to the hotel, like I want to see, you know, I like check it all out in advance. So like I kind of like have my bearings before I'm even there. So I think and even if you're not like that, just knowing that some people are, I think is really helpful if you're planning something because then you can say, you know, you can communicate for those people what exactly they can expect. Um, that's, there's like a real comfort in that. Mm-hmm. And I think it leads like quite nice into like her next thing, which was like the 90% of what makes a successful gathering is what's put in place beforehand. And so yeah. actually part of that, like having rules, knowing where they're going, like understanding what you're getting into, that is part of what she classes like the priming of the event, mm-hmm. which is this idea of like what does happen before. And if you're just waiting and you're thinking the only thing that exists is just like the moment you rock up, like you, you're wrong. And like that's what's <laughs> been really evident. No, but that was really evident for me actually with this last event that I went to. It's like actually so many people were annoyed before they'd even walked into the conference because of the mm. way like some of the pre-information had been sent out. And then I've seen the reverse. Like I've seen when, you know, like people get amazing goodie bags that they're really excited about and they're like post them on social and then they're like eager to get on the train or the plane and to go to this place. And, you know, there's a very different energy and you can create that energy beforehand if you do like some of the things that she talks about in terms of this actual priming and Think not just thinking, oh, it's just about the day or the weekend or whatever, but actually thinking from the moment I let people know this is happening, that is when the gathering has started. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say is that thinking about if you're hosting an event, considering the start of the event, the first moment that people know that it's going to happen is a really interesting reframe of like, there's so much more to that event experience if you're thinking about it that way than the day of. It's like, all the communication leading up to it. And like, I don't know, like there's so many ways to create an experience before you're all physically together that can help create that, you know, that energy, like you said, and excitement and, and kind of thrill. So I love that. Yeah. I definitely think that's one, particularly for the business owners, if you're going to be putting on an event, definitely pay attention to this chapter. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm even thinking about it. Like one of the reasons I didn't get through 100% of the book is I'm in the launch right now. And that's something I already think Mm. quite a bit about is like, you know, I did a workshop and it's really important to me that people are like excited about it. And so I send a bunch of communications leading up to it for people who are signed up. That's like, lots of gifts and like excitement and like positive (laughs) energy. And it really helps. Like I, I really do believe like it's one of the reasons that it's always such a good vibe, even though like most people know I'm going to be selling something eventually. Like I do give a lot of value, but like at the end I talk about making good happen. Um, But it's still such a positive energy because like the excitement has been building for a while and, you know, I've really given people a lot to look forward to. So yeah. And this is definitely something that we can all apply is like yeah. thinking about the energy that you communicate as you put together your event. And as you, you know, people are looking forward to it and all the lead up, like that all comes into their experience of the event overall. Absolutely. And one of the concepts, there's quite a few concepts in this chapter, but one that I thought was quite an interesting one was this idea of passageways and doorways. And so this actually ends up being spoken about for both the beginning and the end which is this idea of like, how do you like officially start and help mm-hmm. people move from where they are to like being in this experience, being in this gathering. And that is definitely something that you can take to like online experiences. I think there are some people that are really good at being able to help the fact that you're in a living, like you're sitting down somewhere looking at your screen on, it doesn't matter. Like actually, they're really able to be like, I'm going to give them my whole concentration um, and I'm going to like pay attention. I'm going to do whatever they say and all that stuff. And I think like some people are really good at it and some people are awful. So if you're someone that does online stuff, I think that, again, is a really interesting way to think about how do I officially try and like move people 
even though physically they're not moving to be like we're crossing over from whatever you were doing and you're coming into this experience now and let's give it your all yeah yeah such a good point and I think part of it is even just acknowledging that like sometimes there is kind of this awkwardness in the start of an event like when people have arrived or like they just get on the zoom or they just get there in person but before the event has actually started that can like create some weird vibes if you're not (laughs) intentional about it so just thinking about like how can you transition from okay they're here to we're in we're like in the middle of the event. And one example she gave was about, I think a Bernie Sanders rally or some kind of political rally for Bernie Sanders, political event for Bernie Sanders, where I think there were like hours and this is, Mm -hmm. this is part of the part I was skimming. So correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think there were hours before he actually took the stage and like, it was just dead time for everyone who was in the audience where you actually have like a really motivated group of people together. You could have used that time to, do something or have them enjoy their time somehow or be productive or like talk about the kind of world they want to see under a government of Bernie Sanders, but they just kind of like didn't do anything. And that was, she described that as a wasted opportunity. Yeah, that you're completely right. Um, And I think that was a really eye-opening one for me because I'm like, actually the larger events become, the more that happens. And there Mm -hmm. is always going to be this sort of time, like there was logistics, you've got to get people in. And so actually you need to think about, well, what are you doing for those people that the first people through the door rather than the last person that comes through the door? Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, again, that then leads up to watch classes, this like cold open and the idea that so many people, they could have been sitting in a room, they could be in an arena, the stadium, whatever, and then they're waiting around. And then someone starts with like logistics. You talked about this idea of like, that is not how you should be starting. <laughs> like actually start strong and really have something that's going to get people automatically to be like this in the right frame of mind. And this is what's happening right now. Um, and then again, in the, at the end of the book, she talks about the reverse, which is like, actually, like don't end on your thank yous. You know, we've all been at a conference when it's like, um, blah, 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 blah. And you've got to be at the car park by 5 p.m. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just like, don't do that. Actually, really think about your opening and your closing. Make sure both of those are really strong. That's what people remember in many ways. And that, I can't remember to start around that, but this idea that like, for most people, it is the beginning and the end. And like, you could have had something that was a bit like questionable in the middle, but if you end on a high, <laughs> but it's true. You get away with it. <laughs> yeah. Like, actually, like that's what people remember. So if you had a really strong beginning and a really strong end, then why actually do we sometimes not think about those bits? And it's like, you can have had to spend all this time trying to organize all these other things. And you're like, actually, then you're like the beginning. You're just like, oh, I just want to say this, that, the other. And it's like, no, really think of it. And for me, I really thought about like how like an artist opens like a concert, for example. And it's like, people have been waiting for it. And so they make sure it's really strong. And I'm like, imagine if everyone had that t- sort of like thinking about how they started a gathering. Mm-hmm. Love that. Okay. Keep your best self out of my gathering. Um, this is a great section. And to me, it was really all about like, a, really no matter what kind of event you're throwing, it's going to be a lot better and more meaningful if you find a way to get people out of like the pretenses of like job title and like trying to impress people and you know all of those things that kind of like it's harder to be our best self when we're so it's harder to be our most authentic self when we're so worried about like the impression that we're making Mm -hmm. so um she gave this amazing example of um this thing that she calls i think 15 toasts where um unless i like definitely want to steal um where basically at an event she gave a specific, the first one of these was, um, I forget the organization, but the theme was a better world or the good life or something. And she asked everyone that there, she told people when they got there that everyone was going to have to give a toast to what the good life meant to them. And she went first and she told this like really kind of more vulnerable story of like getting her period and the way that her mom threw her party for it. And, like that made her feel celebrated. And anyway, and like the way that she led that and started off, everyone ended up like sharing these really personal, honest, like meaningful things that like, you know, brought people to tears and like really were thought provoking versus like being braggadocious and like trying to impress everyone. And so kind of like leading by example in that way, I think is 
something to think about that if you're willing to be real and authentic and non, and this is such a buzzword in like marketing. So (laughs) trying to, trying to say it in a way that's not (laughs) annoying, but yeah, if you can find a way to just be your truest self, I think you invite that same thing from others. I like to be like, it's your unpolished self. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, because it's like, it's not the polished version. It's not everything's all put together and it's all perfect. It's like, actually, there's there can be a bit of rough and ready in this, like, ex- like sharing. And some of the examples were really insightful for me because obviously, so some of the, like, caliber of some of the events she puts on and the level of the people are of, a, like, a certain standard and she might be doing big things with, like, international people all coming in. And she was like, actually, though, I know to get to the heart of stuff, People need to actually like strip that top layer. They need to strip that polish off. They need that we need to get underneath that. Otherwise, nothing's ever going to change. And I think that's particularly important when we are wanting to create something and have discussions that are going to make a change, or we really want to get depending on what the outcome is from an event. So I think that one, particularly for me, I thought I can see where in some circumstances where actually you're trying to really get a group of people together to have conversations that are going to make change that being able to go deeper than just like what your title is and like who you work for or whatever is really important mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh, and there was one other thing in that I thought was something to like people can try as well was the idea of like she was talking about how like pushing for people's experiences over their ideas because actually by talking about your experience you're bringing it back to the human and you're going Mm. going to make yourself relatable and you're going to be like more honest whereas when you talk about ideas it's really easy just to be like off in the fairies (laughs) (laughs) i love that is that an expression (laughs) i don't know if it is or i just made no i think it is i think it is an expression i do make some up but i think that's a real one (laughs) i love it i love it um I'll just say one other thing that I really liked from this section was this idea of sprout speeches, not stump mm-hmm. speeches. And when it comes to speeches, I guess, and share toasts or um, speaking up at a gathering, finding ways to just have it not be rehearsed, basically, is going to, it's going to compel- be so much more compelling. That's what I took away from that. You know, we all can think of those examples from like weddings where it's been overly rehearsed and it doesn't even feel sincere. But on the other hand, if you just kind of, I don't know, I can also think of the toasts that were like more, maybe they had like two bullet points, but they knew overall what they wanted to say. And that's what really connects with us. Mm -hmm. No, that was a good one. Um, Then we go into controversy and this idea of causing good controversy. So I think this is one that I would hopefully imagine not a lot of people have to do that often. But I thought the way she talked about it was so interesting because Mm -hmm. it is something that she has to deal with. And so she talks about this idea that um, so many of us are taught that like controversy is something to avoid. Um, and you know like we're taught things like do not talk about sex religion or politics and I literally just have to read in this chapter I was away like with a couple of different couples and this woman was starting to talk about something and her husband was like no politics at the table Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it was funny because I hadn't even like picked it like picked up on it and it was like you could tell clearly because she's someone that naturally does it her husband's like always like picks up on it and this (laughs) idea like why do we have these like think topics that are just like no we're not going to talk about it and actually, she's like, no, we like sometimes we have to and controversy is good. And the reason if you're bringing a group together for some of these discussions, that's what's going to happen. And she has this idea of like heat maps. And she talks about how in almost any group of people, including strangers, certain areas of conversation will generate more heat than others. Um, but what she's like, she didn't stare away from it, but it's been able to like know that hopefully like in advance. And then as a host, really being able to like, facilitate that and obviously like this is her job so she's really good at it but this idea of just like actually this is not something to be like we're gonna the topic comes and we're gonna run away but it's like how do we keep the conversation going but obviously keep trying to like protect all the parties involved but keep it moving forward yeah this is where I um dropped off the the reading the book at this point again by the time you're listening to this I will have finished it so anything I had to add hopefully I did in the intro but um 
I love this concept. I mean, I can't speak to what she said about it, but I'm a huge fan of not shying away from contentious topics like marketing wise. I think that's actually a great way to differentiate yourself. Not that that's related to gathering necessarily, but um, does she share any, I love the idea of heat maps of like, what's going to make the heat in the room rise. Does she share how to figure out what those topics are? So she says that the heat can arise from conflict, taboos, transgression, power difference, hypocrisy, identity clashes. So they're definitely, I think for her, like some of the examples she gives are like, she's clearly <laughs> like very specific. So one of the examples was like in a church, a sort of he's a source of heat, maybe the issue of gay marriage within the congregation, but it could also be about tithes and collect and how collections are spent. In a newsroom, mm. the heat may come from what stories get best placement on the front page and the paper's website, but also could be about expected layoffs that have yet to be announced. So there are like different degrees of it. And obviously, as I said, this is something that she like she clearly is like flown around the world to deal with this. Like actually controversy seems to be is it conflict resolution? That's what she does, isn't it? That's part of her yeah, job. facilitation. Yeah. So I think that's thing, like there's quite a few references in here that's about this idea of like conflict resolution. There are some bits and I'm like, obviously, in most of our situations, we won't be at that degree of having to deal with a conflict resolution. But it could be that I think some of the just this idea of like not moving away from heat and learning how to manage that is something that all of us can embrace. Mm hmm. And then ending our gatherings. Yeah. The end is near. So she said the chapter's called Accept That There Is An End. And she talks about how, why closing really matters. And it goes back to like exactly what I was trying to say at the beginning mm-hmm. around this idea of like you, your beginning and your end are what people remember. So you need to close properly. You need to give people an opportunity to like realize it's coming to an end as well. So she talks about this idea of a last call. And you know, the examples like when you're in a bar or a pub, they ring a bell. <laughs> they tell mm-hmm. you. So there's not this like abrupt, okay, it's over. Everyone's got to run away. But it actually gives you this opportunity to know, okay, this is coming to an end. And actually she had a really um, relatable personal example of why um, she talked about how her and her husband were, like they had some family over and she decided at a certain point, she says like, she said, thank you all for coming. And then he got really mad because he was like, I can't believe you said that. And what she realized afterwards, he comes from a family where you always wait for the guests to signal that they're leaving, where she comes from a place where you don't, you take over as a host and you make it clear that you can be dismissed. And so again, this it like connected back to that idea of like pop-up rules and stuff. It's like, if you've got two different cultures, things can be confusing. And so if you don't actually make it clear that this is the end, that's when you get people that are like still partying in your house and you don't want them to be anymore. That's when like half the people are falling asleep and fidgeting. <laughs> and the other people are like, like, but that's the reality. We know we've all been to places where you're sort of like, well, is it time to go? Should I go yet? Can I get my coat? And she gives a, a really nice example. So now to resolve that issue, they will officially end the dinner. And then they'll say like, we are going to move into the living room for a nightcap. If you want to join, obviously, like, you're more than welcome. But then that means because they move rooms, it's also then really easy for a family member to, like, be able to dismiss themselves at that point. I thought that's actually, like, such a clever way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's this idea of, like, okay, how do we actually close in a way, like, again, going back to being this generous authority, that it's our responsibility to close it. And what she wants you to do is close it in a way that matters. So, again, do not do logistics. It's not about um, make sure everyone has left the building and blah, 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 like, don't do mm-hmm. that. It actually says what you should do is if you've got any like thank yous specifically, it's one of the things she talks about, to do that second to last. So actually if there are people you need to thank, you do that as you're coming to the end, but then you can still have your strong close. Got it. Love that. So no more slides at the end of your um, presentation. And that's so funny because I'm delivering a presentation in a few days and the last slide is pure logistics, but they've given me the last slide, so I can't change it. And now I'm like, <laughs> no, no, I need to change it. I can't end on logistics. It's not strong enough. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so interesting. I can't wait to read this part. <laughs> As someone who presents quite a bit, I'm like, okay. Yeah, because I notice myself at the end of presentations, usually, usually I'm just like, Okay, thank you so much for coming. <laughs> so, yeah, good. Yeah. Good to think about. 
Yeah, so there. So that was the end. And then actually, in true style, she slipped in like her acknowledgements just before the end. So rather than there's no, like, you know how a lot of books will have acknowledgements Mm -hmm. as the last thing to read? She doesn't do that purposely. Wow. Very clever. (laughs) Yeah, I noticed that I didn't read the end, but I read the beginning. And kind of after her introduction, she says, like the words that she says to transition into the meat of the book, she says, let's begin, which Mm -hmm. is very much like language of a gathering, you know, like you could imagine in person someone saying that. I've never read that in a book before, but I thought that was really interesting. Okay, this has been not a short conversation. Um, (laughs) So let's start to wrap up. But I think one thing I would just like to hear your thoughts on is how, what are like the big takeaways for small businesses in particular? I think we've talked, like this book is a read for literally anyone because like chances are you're going to host at some point. And so I think like, wow, what a reframe on hosting. But as a small business owner who, you know, some are service-based, some are product-based, like what takeaways would you offer folks? I think if you're doing anything that's actually just bringing people together, for me, the takeaways are around being intentional from the beginning, knowing from the moment you invite someone that is part of it and like setting up rules and you owning them like I think really owning that host role which is something that I think I would imagine as a small business because we're creating the events as a small business owner if they're happening whether they're online or offline I think we probably do hold that road but actually being a bit stronger about being like actually what is this experience I'm trying to create what is this moment how do I want people to feel why am I asking all these people to get together and do this thing um, and like you said, it can be in person and it could be like, it could be exactly like running a masterclass, a webinar, all those types of things. Like they're just as the same of being like, how can you make this a moment to remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think my takeaways would be one. I think we can think of our launches actually like mm-hmm. events and yeah whether it's a live launch for, you know, a product, a digital product, like a coaching program or something like that, where you have more of like the workshop slash webinar model, or even a product collection launch where you're, uh, it's still an event of sorts. I think thinking about the ways that you can, you know, once you first announce it, like continue building the excitement about it, um, staying in contact with people, telling them what to expect really clearly. I think all of that is actually super, super relevant. Um, and then the other thing I would say is just like really for anything you're doing, whether it's an event or anything else, starting with like, what is the purpose of this? And getting really clear on that. Like she says, getting super specific on it so that all the decisions you make, you can run them by that filter of like, okay, I know what the purpose of this thing I'm doing is. Now I can make every decision based on that. And it makes it just makes all the decision making so much easier when you know what's most important. So those would be my two. Um, but yeah, I love this book. I'm so glad that I mean, I haven't finished it, but I love what I've the most of it that I've read so far. Um, and I'm so glad that you did too. I was, I, I think it was a, maybe a bit of a risk as a not risk. a business book. <laughs> <laughs> it was a big risk, but I, as I said, I really enjoyed it. And when you said before that a couple of people have mentioned it, I, I can really understand why, because as I said, I think it's just applicable to life. Like all of us will be at some point d- either in a gathering or putting a gathering together and because it's literally like three plus so it's like are you having a few friends around for dinner like actually how are you approaching that so I just think actually I can really see why people other people recommended it I'm sure it's gonna be a book that I end up recommending to people I've already recommended it so there we go (gasps) hooray love it okay let's talk about what we're doing next we are reading traction by Gina Wickman why did we pick this one I mean, you've already read. I've read it a long time ago, but you just read it, so yeah. So I've never ever read it, and I've heard about it so many times. So it talks about the subtitle is "Get a Grip on Your Business." So this we're going back to proper business book mode. Yeah, could Um, not be a harder (laughs) left turn from the book we just read. Um, and really, is he's got like a system? So Gina has a system for. I suppose, business success. And it's clearly a system that a lot of people have followed, which is why a lot of people recommend it. And we're going to find out what it is next time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 
All right. Well, join us for that one. Sherelle, thank you so much for this. Thanks for carrying the last 20% of the book, which I did not finish yet. So I'm glad that you did. But this was super fun. I love talking about this one. And I'm looking forward to next month. All right. So there you have our takeaways from The Art of Gathering. Did you enjoy it? What were your takeaways? I would be so curious. DM us on Instagram and let us know your thoughts. I'm at Lauren Tilden. That's L-A-U-R-E-N-T-I-L-D-E-N. And Sherelle is at Sherelle Griffith, C-H-A-R-E-L-L-E-G-R-I-F-F-I-T-H. You can find details from the podcast on the show notes page at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 175. Now, we have announced our book for next month's book club episode. That is Traction by Gino Wickman. This book is all about getting your business organized and running smoothly and efficiently, and I am here for it. This could not come at a better time for me. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful to have your support. Here are three ways that you can give back to making good. Number one, I'd be honored if you'd leave a rating and review in your favorite podcast player, and don't forget to subscribe and follow. If you have a friend that you think would enjoy the podcast, send them the link. This episode is at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 175. Finally, I would love for you to take a screenshot of your podcast player while you're listening and tag me on social media at Lauren Tilden and Sherelle at Sherelle Griffith. This episode was produced and edited by Corinne Monaco of Just Peachy Illustration. Thank you for being here and for focusing on making a difference with your small business. Talk to you next time.